Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Those words come from Bill Gaither. The title of a song he wrote in 1974. Those were the early years of my Christian walk. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. That chorus written by Bill Gaither voices a powerful theme of Paul's teaching about the resurrection. In this chapter, what we call chapter 15, is one of the greatest sustained discussions Paul ever wrote. It's the subject of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and the future resurrection of those who believe in Jesus the Messiah. I fear, I know that's an expression, it troubles my heart. It even saddens me when I think about it, that many don't appreciate the importance of the resurrection. Okay, so God chose it to do, to do it that way, you know. Like, I don't know if I would have chosen to do it that way, but he did, so I'm okay with that because there's a happy ever after and I'm destined to go there. But there's more to the resurrection than just my individual happy ever after. Without the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, the resurrection from the dead unto life again, new life, there's no reason to suspect that the crucifixion of Jesus dealt with sins or with sin. Just let that think in, sink in for a moment. That was kind of an unexpected or unplanned pun there. Just let that think in. I like that. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Let that think in. with the resurrection, God's victory over sin and thus over death is assured. The resurrection of Jesus anchors everything because it is the unparalleled act of God that signals our victory over death. In my life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is my answer to everything, my every doubt, my every question, my every hardship, at least when my mind is engaged and I'm thinking the right things. 
The resurrection of Jesus is the irreducible minimum of my faith. And I put it that way to say how important it is, the resurrection of Jesus. Just to give you an example, there are sometimes I've questioned, is God good? Is God really good in the face of tragedies and crises and the suffering of others? In fact, I'm emotional this morning. I think not so much when I think of Margie in the presence of the Lord, but when I think that death exemplifies, it crystallizes suffering and sin. When Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, I don't know that he wept just over Lazarus as much as he did over the results and effects and impact of sin. Sometimes I think I'm one of the luckiest guys in the world to be a pastor because I'm constantly exposed to the hardships and difficulties, not just of my own sin, but the sin of others. It's a sobering reminder of what sin does, very much unlike music and television, which dances sin across the screen with no consequences, no regrets, no ache of the soul for sin unresolved. And yet I also love being a pastor because I see the work of God in people's lives, that transforming power on a day-to-day basis. So I see it in his word, and I see it in the lives of people, the truth of his word, put most simply in terms of the destruction of sin and new life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when I ask, is God good? when sometimes I'm driven to doubt it. And yeah, pastors doubt those things sometimes. If doubt is a thought or a thought experiment or a burden of thought. And when I look at the resurrection, I see God as good. I see him proved as good. Because in the resurrection, I see God as just. Because in Jesus' Jesus' resurrection, it tells me that his death was not just the death of an ordinary man, that his death was not just the consequence of some cosmic misunderstanding or the upper hand of evil, but it was purposeful and it was for sin, which is the testimony and the heart of the gospel and the good news. It tells me that God dealt with something in the death of Jesus Christ that I couldn't deal with in my own life, and you know you can't deal with it in yours either on your own. He dealt with it. And then when we add in to the fact, who was he? The one and only Son of the Father. The Messiah of the Old Testament Scripture. 
validated, verified in the resurrection. If it was in doubt, the resurrection says it was purposeful. It was undertaken purposefully by the Son of God to accomplish something, to rectify something that was our problem to begin with, a cancer on this world. That's justice. He is just. Because he took the debt, the consequence on himself In the incarnation, the fully human Jesus, fully divine God, died for you and me. That tells me he's just. And yet he's gracious because he did it. Something I couldn't. What a favor. What a generosity. We ought to all become poets, write songs, paint pictures, take up instruments to play to the glory of God's grace in Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. What grace, what mercy. Grace is mercy applied. His generosity applied to a debt we couldn't pay ourselves. How loving. Because in that incredible story of the gospel and of salvation, I'm included. Me, John. And if you look up to me because I'm standing up here, you should have seen me when I was saved. When God found me in his love. I owe everything in my life to him. Everything that's good, everything that I can say meant something that counted for someone other than myself. God wrought through me, through his grace, through his goodness. And I know that when I look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In short, it proves everything to me that Jesus was and is God's one and only Son, that Jesus was the Messiah sent to redeem Israel and the whole world, that Jesus' teachings are not just the highest ethic, and they are. When you read his parables, when you sit under his teaching, there was a time when I was just growing in my Christian faith and there were part of the teachings of Jesus that I was told didn't even apply to us because we couldn't do them today. Well, I think that's not true. I think they do apply to us. I do believe we are able to do them. In his spirit, which he poured out with his resurrection, the whole church was created through the resurrection, which is a testimony to the Spirit, a testimony to his resurrection. That resurrection power that Paul spoke about, 
It shows us that God's way is love and that love does win. God's way is love and his love wins in the end. His love, not his love working through you and through me. And it proves that the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is poured out on us. And this translates into my life when I, when I surrender to Him in faith, when I trust Him in faith, when I deny myself and take up His cross and follow Him. Very practically, and listen, I can be as cussed, you wouldn't know it but I know me better than you. I can be as cussed as the next. I can mutter things under my breath when people do me wrong. But it doesn't stick because I repent. I repent every day. Lots. Every day. As I, you know, surrender my life to Him. As I let His truth fill my heart flood my mind, correct my thinking, correct my actions, fashion me in the mold of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about. I just want to root this in the resurrection where it should be. Because everything changed with the resurrection. Everything. That's why we call it a New Testament. That's why we call it the good news. I even, not as much as I wish, but some of the best times in my life is when I have willingly been on the receiving end of injustice. Why? Because God is good. I know He wins in the end because of the resurrection. He has chosen to be long-suffering and patient. He has chosen to deal with us in grace. We want justice when it serves our purposes, but it serves His purposes for us to live in love. And that means sometimes getting the blunt end of the stick. It means overlooking the wrongs that people commit to us and not acting in kind. It, it means knowing a peace within our lives and a promise for the future based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He lives. He lives. I know He lives today. And then that great line, he lives within my heart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart, which is poetry for the fact that God is resident, occupying us through faith in his power. A harbinger, which means an anticipation of new life in the resurrection, the consummation and completion of what God in His redemption through Jesus Christ has begun in you. You are not 
finished yet. And what the Spirit wants to do in your life and do more and more and more as you will quit, as Paul says, grieving him, making him cry, not literally, He wants to do more and more Christ-like work in you and me because the Spirit is the very continuation of Christ. All because of the resurrection. Well, I've gone off of uh, course a little bit this morning. Some of this I plan to say. This morning... I'm going to show you what I'm going to talk about next Sunday. I'm going to talk about the fact that the resurrection is our hope. It is the core of the gospel in verses 1 through 11. It is all or nothing, as Paul points out in verses 12 through 19. And I hope you'll read chapter 15, all of it, very carefully and more than once. We're going to look at verses 1 through 34 next Sunday together. It's really rich. And it will help us to draw all that Paul wants us to appreciate if we read it and think about it in advance. It's the reign of the risen Messiah. Every time you you read the word Christ, I want you to think Messiah because we think of Christ as Jesus' last name. Like my name is John Venema and he's Jesus Christ. But Christ is the Greek word. That's how we would translate the Greek word which translates the Hebrew word Messiah. And when you speak of the Messiah, you're, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, and he is, that's the uniform, unified message of the New Testament. That's the verification of his resurrection. He is the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams, promises, and prophetic expectations of the Old Testament. So pay attention when it says, Christ died for our sins. That is, the Messiah, the Messiah died for our sins. Wow, that just makes it pop a little bit. He died for our sins. He was already the Messiah. Paul uses the word Messiah, Christ, Thirteen times in this chapter. Thirteen times. Out of a total of 59 in his letter, this first letter of Corinthians. I'm not a great mathematician, but with the help of a calculator, I ran a few numbers. That's twice as many in this chapter as the rest spread over the whole, chap whole letter. He has something to say about Jesus' role as the Messiah and the fact that he died for our sins and rose from the grave. So be reading that in advance. And as I said, verses 20 through 28, will, Paul will talk about 
the reign of the Messiah. In fact, in verse 12, there's a denial. And verses 12 through 19 is the first part of Paul's answer of that denial, the denial of the resurrection of the dead. And then verses 20 through 28 is the second part. The first part, 12 through 19, deals with the fact that here's what you're denying. Here's what you get, so to speak, if you run that, that logic, that thought, to its very conclusion, its absurd and final conclusion. And then in verses 20 through 28, he says, but if you follow the affirming thought of the resurrection of the dead, here's what you will find. Here is the logical extension, if you will, of what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And then it's the future that gives meaning to today, verses 20 through 34. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. That's a song. It's poetry. It's not dense, thick theology. But it captures the spirit, if you will. The disposition, the outlook, the attitude, the emotional makeup of a Christian who knows I have a future that is glorious a recreation of this uh, spoiled world in the resurrection life that has been won for me by my Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you stand with me? I'm glad we have a few extra minutes this morning. I hope you'll hang around, meet someone you haven't met before, visit a little longer with some friends, go over to the cafe, get one of those cinnamon rolls. They're really good. And just taste it and enjoy it a little bit more, savor it a little bit more because, you know, even in this life, because of the resurrection, everything tastes and smells and looks a little bit better. We weep a little bit harder, too, because we feel a little bit more deeply. We care. We care more in Christ. We do. We hurt with other people. We weep with them. It doesn't matter what political side of the aisle they're on or anything else. We have the heart of God. And he loves each and every one. If you doubt that, then look at the cross and the one who hung there. And you'll see there the love of God for you and for others. Let that love set you free. Let that love heal your heart. Let that love restore your hope. Let that love lift your eyes. Let that love give you an excitement for life. And let that love 
make you weep a little harder and laugh a little longer because God's goodness is in his love too, in his son Jesus Christ. And he wants that to be in you. Surrender to him today. Turn your life over to him. It's a moment-by-moment walk. It's a following. Trust him. Step out in faith. Because he is good. He wins in the end. He suffered wrong for a greater good. You. This morning, I'm going to pray, but afterwards, I'll be up here along with pastoral staff. If you'd like to come and pray with us, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you've heard some good news this morning and you would like to know more or to receive, give your life to Jesus Christ. It just begins with a decision of your will and your heart. We'll be here if you want to pray for someone else. Maybe you came burdened this morning and you want to lift that unto the Lord. Ask him to help you carry that because you share that heart of love for that burden or that person suffering. Come, we'll pray with, with you. We'll pray together. We'll turn to the Lord. Whatever your needs, take them to the Lord. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing is everything. We praise you for giving us everything and even more. In Jesus' matchless name, we pray. And all of God's people said,